tired. So tired. Hey all you cool cats, parakeets, llamas, and alpacas, you're listening to Overtired. Uh, I am your overtaking host, Jay Miller, and with me are my beautiful co-hosts, Jeff Severance-Gonsole, and the mad genius of the internet himself, Brett Terpstra. How did you get a hold of our demographic uh, report? Oh, I mean, you know, (laughs) if you listen to one podcast, you listen to all of them. Yeah, fair (laughs) enough, fair enough. Hi, Jay. Hey. (laughs) And we do not have Christina here today, although we're committed to doing this exact same guest lineup with Christina sometime down the road. We will repeat this. Um, And apologies to our regular listeners. We took we took some unintended time off. (laughs) Um, Life got in the way, but we also weren't beholden to any sponsors at the time. So we gave ourselves a break and. And literally took a break. So, which was lovely for me because I came back from a family trip to Egypt and Kenya, and then had a colonoscopy, and then had oral surgery, and then got sick. And so, it's awesome to have a break in that context. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> that sounds like it was a much needed break. I was and- jealous when you said Kenya in Egypt, and then you jumped straight into colonoscopy. And I was like, you know what? I I deliberately scheduled it for the week I got back because I'm like, I'm going to be I'm going to be so out of it anyhow that I might as well just hit myself with all the stuff. Sure. Um, And I did. Yeah. Great. I I haven't. I so yesterday I had two root canals and two crowns. Wait, well, yesterday you had two root canals. Yeah. What's going on with that? Well, is that a thing? Yes, apparently so because mm-hmm. it happened to me. Um, I had I had a filling fallout in a back molar, and I I scheduled like it it wasn't hurting me, so the dentist like scheduled me a couple months out. And in the meantime, decay started happening between the broken filling and the tooth next to it. So I had this mm-hmm. like spot of decay that covered two teeth, and in order to fill it they would have had to drill into the nerves, which is, I guess, when you do a root canal. Yep. And so I had a bunch of scans on. I even got a second opinion because that sounded excessive to me. Um, but they're like, yep, you're going to need two root canals and then you'll have to crown them and it's going to cost you about five grand. Mm-hmm. And so and then so I went in to have it done and I had a, a brand new dentist that I had never seen before. And he gave me a total of 13 shots of Novocaine and it didn't take, it didn't take, he would start drilling and I would scream like it did nothing to me. And I blame a combination of hallucinogens and Vyvanse. No, that's technique. (laughs) <laughs> I'm serious. I've learned that because I'm a hard one to get to. And I finally found a dentist who's like, well, here's what I had to do to make it work. He calls it like the Weiner-esque-get technique. And uh, I think the needle pretty much went through my cheek. And then like- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the needle went through my cheek. Literally, I think. It did, but but it was the first time it was ever perfect on the second try. I Yeah, it, it did not take. It did not stick. So yesterday, I didn't take any Vyvanse or any of my other medicinal uh, drugs. And um, they gave me a, a oral sedative that put me in like a semi-conscious state Oral sedative. Yeah. Like you, they like, they ground it up and put it under my tongue. And like, what is this dentist? I let it, (laughs) I let it dissolve. And then I went into this like very woozy trance like state. 
And I was like aware of what they were doing, but none of it hurt. And, and I had like memory loss when I came out of have it. You, have you yelped this guy? Because <laughs> ZocDoc, where are you at? Yeah. We're, well, come on. <laughs> basically, basically they're hey, like, no sponsors. <laughs> if, if, uh, if, uh, if Novocaine doesn't take, we have to do, it's basically somewhere in between Novocaine and like IV type anesthesia. Yeah. And so it was like, uh, a midway anesthesia that doesn't require any needles, which I assume also doesn't require any special licensing. Welcome to so. the dental health corner. Uh, <laughs> can I just say, can I just oh, stay at the good. end of this? Can I stay that at the end of this? Good. My cousin who lives out in, in the suburbs, um, I went to visit him for the first time ever and realized he's in the scary suburbs. Like the, like um, I, I drove by a house first that had like a giant sign that said, um, that's a taxidermy outside. And apparently sometimes there are bears <laughs> curing out there. And then next to him was a yard that had recently inflated balloons that are apparently refreshed and like a big sculpture of an, of a green alien and all this stuff. And then I, I got to his house and I'm like, what's the deal with those two? Like I was hoping they're, they're friends or whatever. He's like, Oh, they're totally friends. He's like, but you know, I was, I, he had two teeth pulled because of an infection in the front of his mouth and he was in so much pain and he was talking to the neighbor with the aliens and the neighbor offered him heroin. And I sure. told him, I said like, I mean, which makes sense, right? In a certain that way, is, I guess I've never used heroin, but here's the thing. The taxidermy guy, it's rumored, goes out in his backyard with night vision goggles and his AR-15 and in the night and apparently with a silencer, which I don't think is a thing for everybody and shoots deer. And I told my cousin, I'm like, you know, half of our family won't come to the city, won't come to Minneapolis anymore ever since like the uprising and the police decided to just say, fuck all of you. And I'm like, this is scary. <laughs> like my neighborhood is not scary. Anyway, I thought it was weird. We just moved cross country and the, we moved to like, we're on the city like border between one town and the next and the next town over. Uh, it was interesting when people were like, oh, hey, you're moving to the place where it's illegal to not own a firearm. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, and I had Multiple. To like, I had to like pause and think about that first. I was like, wait a minute, you said not? Like, yeah, <laughs> not. You, you have you have to be packing like open carry permits, like happy quinceanera, here's a Glock. Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well. Um, how's that going for you? You know, guns aside, I guess, um, you know, it's, it's been good. Um, <laughs> I, I guess for, for some context, I've moved to the Atlanta area. Um, okay. my family lives about two hours South of Atlanta. The other half of my family lives, uh, two hours North of Atlanta. And then like some weird third contingency lives on the Southeast of us. So it's, it's kind of nice being close enough to family that like they can't just come in when they want to, but they can still show up. Like they can you yeah. know, call and be like, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Let's, you know, let's hang out. Like that, mm -hmm. that's been pretty cool. Um, and you moved into uh, the Atlanta area from where? San Diego. Whoa, San Diego. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The land. I mean, I paid taxes for no rain and it rained like, for the first three months this year, I knew it was time to go. So. Yeah, San Diego. And, and I haven't been there since the 90s, but it was like the land of the pea coat back then, like the navy, like oh, long yeah. blue coat. Oh, yeah. it's, it still is. <laughs> I think I got a pea coat there, actually. Yeah. I mean, that's I, that's how I got there was through the Marine Corps. I got stationed there. My wife's from L.A. And we were just like, nice. yeah, this is nice. We'll just, just stay here and do that thing for a little bit. I love but, it. But all in all, I mean, the weather's nice. We have AC for the first time. 
you know, mm. I, yeah. I feel like people really underestimate the power of central air. Oh my God. Like, uh, it's life changing. It is life changing. My electric bill is probably going to be life changing too when I get it, but it, yes, you know, it I is what a, it is. I have one window unit to cool the entire house. Oh man. Like we, we just don't have, it would, it would take an entire retrofit to fit central air in here. So we have one window unit in my bedroom that cools the entire house. And I, it's not ideal, but in Minnesota in the summer, it's a necessity. We survive. When I was a kid, my dad had a window unit just in his room and, and the rest of the house was just like sweltering. And so I'd have to like sneak in there when he wasn't in there and just like bring a book or something. It's unfair, dad. Oh, man. Yeah, you could have put one in my room. There's no reason you couldn't have done that. Anyway, uh, hi, let's do our, so we've done Dental Health Corner. Uh, that's a great segue into Mental Health Corner. I can't think of any other rhymes. Uh, I say we Com- go with it. Compartmental Health Corner? Sorry, I'll just stop. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll stop. I'll stop. It's dumb. Oh, man. I, well, guess first. I know Jay has some stuff to talk about. Uh, so there, there's kind of like these these like two weird feelings like again the the whole moving cross country uprooting everything spending tens of thousands of dollars to go from like one time zone to another because it it sucks if you try to do it any cheaper than that and then like and then still coming out okay has left me with this sense of like have did I finally make it like am I in a position in like for the first time in like my family's history where you can sit there and drop a bunch of money at one time and not be worried about what's going to happen to you. Like, am I going to have to like donate plasma for the next year or something like that? And it's like, I'm good. And that has been this weird eye opening. Like I'm bougie now. Like I am, I feel the, the middle-class crust like hitting my skin, but there's this other side of that that you know I'm sure I'm sure Brett and and all of our fancy tech job glory we keep hearing about all the AI stuff and like I'm not an AI skeptic I'm also not an AI evangelist like, I read I read your last post on that yeah like I I feel this constant tug from my employer to be like you have to preach the gospel of AI and I'm just like I don't mm. want to do that. Mm. So now I'm like struggling with this depression of like everywhere I go I just keep hearing it screamed in my ear and I'm like no I don't want to listen I don't want to listen to like it's like but I also want to protect that level of financial security that I've reached. And what that's brought me is uh my favorite type of depression, uh, which is impulse buying mode. Um, mm. I just bought an espresso machine. Mm-hmm. Retail therapy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you work in tech. Wait, can you? Can I ask you what's the context that you are now facing uh, the bougie uh, situation that you're describing? I mean, it's is, it's what, just, is it a job that suddenly? Uh, well, I got my my bonus. Um, and then I also had to sell a bunch of stock. And that left me with like tens of thousands of dollars left over from the tens of thousands of dollars that I had and was like, whoa, wait, what's happening? I don't understand. Um, I thought everything was going to be miserable. Like, I'm sure the IRS is going to slap me in the face later, but like, I don't, for the moment, I'm just like, hey, 
I can spend a thousand dollars on espresso machine stuff and Hey, I can buy baseball season tickets, you know, for my favorite baseball team next year. And (laughs) like, I can do all of this stuff that as a kid, you'd have been like, Oh, Hey, cool. I have a small cafe in my house now with beans from single origin farms from Ethiopia. Like I look in the mirror and I'm like, who is this person? I don't, I don't, I don't recognize you over, you know, the sound of your smugness. Did it work? (laughs) Did you cure your depression? Um, I have another $200 worth of stuff that I just ordered from Amazon. (laughs) But I need it. The house is empty. I need to fill it. Like it's, yeah. So it's, it's, it's just that weird, it's this very weird state of like, all of this could go away in a heartbeat if I refuse to not preach AI. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I just don't want to do it. (laughs) And like, that's just the worst feeling ever. But also like the constant reminder of how good life is right now. And if you just like, shut up, close your eyes, take your medicine and like do the thing you don't want to do, you could probably ensure that for, you know, a few more years until the next thing comes up that you don't want to do. When yeah. I huh. when I left AOL Tech, it was because like things had gotten it was it was a very similar predicament. I was being asked to do things that I didn't really want to do. And my passive income was such that I was making my salary again from like apps and, and blog sponsors and things like that. And I thought I could live with half the money and just, you know, do my own thing and not have to, you know, for example, write posts about AI. Um, And it went very poorly for me. Mm -hmm. I would not recommend, I would never recommend if you have a cushy corporate gig you know, don't sell your soul, but <laughs> so but people also, would argue I've done that already, <laughs> but also don't fail. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that's kind of the interesting point is I, I feel like right now I'm mostly just verbally echoing, like, look, you, you want me in my element. Like you want me talking about the things that I like, I'm, I'm building templates for like the, the Microsoft learn ecosystem for all of the Python stuff. And the end result is hopefully we'll be managing, you know, 20 or 30 different examples using one repo, one code base. We make one update and put and like propagate it out to all of our samples. Uh, Like this is some cool stuff that I'm doing. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we need you to um, present this to the executive leadership team, by the way. Is there any way you can sprinkle some AI in there? And I'm just like, oh, that's it. That's the thing. huh? You got to sprinkle it. That you got to sprinkle it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So compulsive spending, but you have the money. Uh, is that what you're saying or no? Is it like, I'm not trying to be flip about it. I'm, I'm, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. I have a house that we just bought that's, you know, it was made in the nineties, which makes, I mean, that doesn't sound like a long time ago, but apparently all the inspectors think like, Hey, you should probably tuck some money away for Mm. when water heaters decide to explode or something. So like, there's this moment of like responsible me, like always cautious of the next time that you'll have nothing again is like, you should really be putting all this money away and not touching any of it. Uh, And then I look and it's like, yeah, but 
I don't have the right color glasses to go with the other glasses in the cafe area. So like, what, what do you do? <laughs> That's awesome. So what did you do? Uh, I mean, I bought <laughs> you clear got the ones. Right. And- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to come correct. I mean, you're around people. I, I don't have never, never around people. And, and, and to be fair, this is, this is stuff that I've looked at and I've said like, I, I, yeah, right. I'm, I'm probably never going to have these things. Yeah. And now it's like, I have them and I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like I've, I'm probably over caffeinated. Just I've, I've had like seven espresso, like double espresso <laughs> shots in the last like two days. It's, you know, yeah, it's yeah. great. And I'm learning a lot and I'm learning about things that I, I want to learn about. I've talked about taking like whiskey sommelier courses and like getting Glen Cairn, uh, you know, Glen Cairn glasses and things like that. And I understand that this is like the utmost privileged stuff. Like people that I grew up with don't like, they're like whiskey, like, like Jack Daniels is like the highest level of whiskey you can get for them. Maybe some black label and they're like, whoa, maybe Southern comfort. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) so like when, when you're able to go and have these experiences, when you're able to go and like do stuff and, and there's really not anyone in your immediate circle that you can kind of relate to or that you can, you know, talk to about these things and they go, oh yeah, you know, I've totally run into that problem. It feels so bad. Like it, it's like one of the shittiest feelings ever where you're just like, I under, like I've become that person that people looked at and was like, oh, I hate that guy. And mm. you know, it's, it's a weird feeling, but I also understand it's like, I'm just getting the things that I've always wanted to get or that I've yeah. wanted to get for the past few years. So it's like, yeah. wow, I have, do I hate who I've become or who I've aspired to become? And honestly, I like, no, I'm still the same, like radical, like you can, you can't see my love black people. Like you love black coffee sign, you know, behind me, but like, I still have that, like, I'm going to stand up for people. I'm going to try to get them hired. I'm going to try to elevate their lifestyles, their careers and all that stuff. I'm still that same person. Yeah. I'm just that person with a nice handbag. And that's also the person you're also the person you want in that space. And if you can then also, because of that, get things that are beautiful to you, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's tough. I um, I will say that, like, I grew up being very much an activist, being very much an anarchist. And when I started making money, um, I felt very out of place going to rallies. I felt out of place um, going to activist meetings. And I kind of stopped. Like, I felt like, oh, I, I'm not allowed, uh, like, I'm not allowed to be an activist anymore. Um, and that's been, that's been years that I've, I've felt that way. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, you know, not to, not to prolong the discussion on it, but like one of the big reasons we, we moved to Atlanta was like, I'm, I'm in a biracial relationship. My daughter is mixed. We grew up in a, you know, she's grown up to this point in an area that is predominantly white and, um, you know, mostly Mexican. And it's like, that's, it's cool. She's getting a multitude of cultures around her, but she's not experiencing like, oh, I guess, oh yeah. For the people who never met me, hi, I'm Jay, I'm black. Um, that's a thing. (laughs) Some people can't tell when I talk. Um, so like, I was like, you know, cool. We're going to Atlanta. There's like, a ton of black people here. There's a ton of successful, like there's the black culture here is different than 
any other place in the world, in my opinion. And then we enroll her into like a private preschool. And it's like, and I mean, granted, that was all because we, she wouldn't be starting school this year in California. So like we got there, they're like, hey, school started last week. You got to enroll your kid. By the way, because of her age thing, she's still in pre-K, but it's too late to sign up for pre-K. So she's going to miss a year, but we wanted her to get friends. So then it's like, well, there's this like private school around the corner that you can send her to and all of her friends will go to the same school for the next 10 years. And you're like, I guess we're doing that. But in the end, I'm like, okay, great. I've just taken her out of this like public school system and away from that culture uh, in some ways that I, we moved here in part for her to experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also hearing you talk and thinking about some friends who have been in a similar position, I at least feel like maybe we're, this is oversimplifying, maybe we're entering an era where wealth isn't just for the assholes, Um, which is kind of nice, right? Nice people can have nice things. Nice people can have nice things. Yeah. Because I grew up similar way. Like we did not like grew up in apartments and for the most part and, um, you know, like tax refund time was when we spent money. Like my mom was just like, it's coming. And, uh, and tax, like tax free weekends. Yeah. And that's when we would just like spend all the money. And then the rest of the year it was fairly tight. And, and I'm also in a situation right now, I'm not making a bazillion dollars, but I'm definitely making more money than a kid with no high school diploma ever expected he would. Um, and, and have nice machines and have nice things in my house. And I really, I, I just, I relate to that so much. And there's also a part of me that resonates. Something you said resonates where it was like, I actually realized late. I'm like, Oh, we're not, like exactly like middle class or like working to middle class anymore. We're like somewhere in like middle upper, if you're talking about class and I have been such a reflexive class person my whole life that it took me a minute to figure that out. And I was like, Hey, you should examine that. <laughs> right. Like you just kind of let yourself kind of float into this new tax bracket and, uh, and forgot to um, revise some of your, <laughs> some of your class reflexes. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, I don't know if that, I, I hope that didn't feel like too far astray from what you're explaining. No, I, I, I think that hits the nail on the head, you know? Yeah. And and another bit, which I, I we talked about after my trip, but like my wife is like a credit card miles hacker, like a genius. And we ended up in business class, my whole family. And that was like a serious thing. Cause like every time I board a plane, I'm like, these motherfuckers won't even look me in the eye. And, and there I was sitting and I'm like, I'm just going to look at my champagne glass. And I was like, wow, how quickly I became the other thing. And maybe it's not quite so binary. <laughs> oh, the, the, the previous overtire episode where it was like, everyone has experienced business slash first class. And I was like, <laughs> this was me last year. This was me flying to Ireland last year yeah. where they were like, Mr. Miller, would you like a glass of Prosecco? And I was yes! like, I didn't, I didn't tell you what my name was and I appreciate <laughs> this. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anything else, Jay? No, um, I'm tired of talking about myself now. <laughs> I, I understand. I do. Says the podcaster. <laughs> uh, Jeff, you got a mental health corner? Yeah, kind of. Um, so I just mentioned I didn't graduate from high school and I was I was two credits short. And I, I went to a really rich high school um, where like kids drove Mercedes and stuff. And I, I drove my beloved 1984 uh, Cutlass Sierra powder blue bad brain sticker on the back uh and and like uh 
felt really alienated from that culture because it was an alienating culture. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, I didn't graduate. Um, and then I refused to, uh, find my way to the paperwork, um, worked in a lot of warehouses and dishwashing until a mentor like pulled me into a whole new life that led to everything after that. But anyway, um, my 30th class reunion came up and I've, I've never gone to one. I don't keep in touch with almost anybody. I mean, the mistake early Facebook days of letting some alums in. And then I realized you have to be a cold blooded killer about that. Um, and you have to not worry about the fact they're writing you and saying, what the fuck I requested, you know, you're like, we weren't friends. I, I do not want you in my world. Um, so I've had this like extremely sort of adversarial thing about that school, about my classmates. It's and it's been uh, something I've worked on hard in therapy because I was holding on so much anger. My wife was finally like, "This doesn't make exactly make sense because you're happy, you have a great life. Like, why does this thing still like live inside of you so so kind of white hot?" So I started doing some work in therapy, which resulted in me uh, considering. My 30th anniversary when an old friend, my friend Laura um, from high school, was like, come on, we'll be each other's like emotional support people. And she like laid out exactly the perfect thing that and it's what I've done at parties forever, which is she's like, we're going to we're going to go to a corner table and we're going to post up in that corner. We're not going to mingle. Uh, we might make trips to the bar. Uh, but then we're going to be back in the corner and then we're going to just hope for some surprises, some pleasant surprises. A couple people roll up. This feels good. That's all we need. We go home, hopefully not re-traumatized, and uh, and so we did that. We actually recruited one other person into the into the scheme, and and I, I decided to go to this thing. Um, and when I got there, I had forgotten my ticket. I didn't have a a, a diploma, and I was the only person without a name tag, despite paying <laughs> sixty fucking dollars to go to this thing. And Aww. this this woman who had been a girl when we were in high school, who was managing everything, and I remembered but didn't remember me. She's looking gunsel, gunsel, gunsel. Doesn't remember me. She's like, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm like, you know what? This is actually perfect. In my head, I'm like, I'm undocumented here. Like, I don't have a diploma. I don't have a ticket. I don't have a name tag. I don't look anything like I looked in high school because I had like a baby face with beautiful long hair. Um, and so I am basically like, I realized like there were years ago when I told someone the only way I want to go to my reunion is if I could be invisible and anonymous and sit in a corner and observe. Right. And that's exactly what happened. I went into a corner. I had no name tag. Nobody recognized me um, and I could just take it all in and then I could decide who I wished would be at the table with me. And and then my friend Laura would go and summons them. It was her idea. She's <laughs> like, who, who, who should we see? I'm like, go get Wilcox. And so she brings this guy to the table or like there was one guy. I didn't even know who he was. I'm like, he looks very kind. Let's bring him to the table. You know, and it was like it was such an interesting way to do the reunion, which was otherwise really hot and people were super drunk and we had committed, we're just going to sit here and drink San Pellegrino all night long and sweat and, and bring some people over. And that ended up being such a wonderful thing to me. And, and the mental health part of this is like, you know, when something is traumatizing, which that school was to me um, and to my friend and to the person we also pulled in, we all had this in common. Um, you trauma, trauma, uh, exists in my head and I, in people I've talked to as like frozen pictures, right? Mm -hmm. Like almost like a, a slideshow of pictures that never change. Um, and, and you're looking at them and it's flipping through the slideshow like over and over and over. And what this thing allowed me to do was have new pictures that 
just kind of, I could even feel displacing the other pictures. So I had a new picture myself um, as like a person who like, despite all of my worry about being like lonely for the rest of my life when I was in high school or like not knowing how to get to the thing I felt like could be true about my life um, and seeing all the other people that had been making the apparent right decisions that I had not quite made. I just thought for me, it's not going to be good. And, um, and it is good. And, and I got to sit there and just be present in that. Like I made a lot of, I did a lot of work on that before I went like that day. I'm like, don't go as the kid that hated these fuckers go as the like man, which is something I still have a hard time applying to myself. Go as like the man who has a family, who he loves, who loves him, who has a job that he loves, um, and is, and is appreciated at. And, um, just go as that person and stay rooted as that person. And it worked. And, and afterwards I just felt things falling away for days afterwards. I felt this like stuff falling away so much so that I was able to go into the Facebook group because I had been very anonymous at this thing. Right. I mean, I had to walk through people I remembered exactly. And I knew probably might've been a nice conversation, but I wasn't there for it. I couldn't do it. I had to be back to the wall, see who comes up. And so, um, Afterwards, I was like, we had, we've lost 10 people in our class, a um, lot of women to cancer, uh, two of my friends to one alcohol-related death, one an overdose. Um, and I was really struck by that. And so several days or a couple days after this thing, I was still thinking about the people who had passed and how like this Facebook group for this class was just full of like, we should have rolled the J under the fucking bleachers. You know, it's like, it's just stupid shit that was like, wait, we're adults now. Do you remember that part of how we 30 years has passed? Right. And you're talking like when you were 18. Um, so I, I decided to like put myself out there and I, I created a post that basically just said like, Hey, I keep thinking about the people we've lost. Um, some of whom are friends, some of whom are people I just would have loved to seen at, at this reunion. How about we fill this thread with memories about these people, with pictures, maybe you want to address somebody directly. Like maybe you just want to share a word that means something to you, but not to anybody else. And I started it by writing my own thing to the mother of a, a person who had been a friend in high school who recently died. Um, and I wrote directly to her cause she was in this Facebook group. Um, just as a, a message to her as like a little bit of witness from the shadows. Cause I've, I've, I've known mothers who have lost their children. And, and that is a, that is a really, that is a special kind of grieving and loss that transcends almost anything. And there's no word for it, right? You have a word for like a woman who's lost her husband, but you don't have a word for a mother who's lost their child. Um, and so I just started with that. And then, man, that stuff just rolled in for, it still is. It's like two weeks later and people are writing the most beautiful things. People that I thought of as not very thoughtful are writing the most thoughtful, beautiful things, which is on me, right? Like that I didn't think they were thoughtful. Um, and that too became just like part of like, I was like, I put myself out there. I was hiding in school. I wanted to be invisible, right? Like I hated my body. I hated, I hated uh, my presence. I was a big guy, like tall. And like, I felt like I was like, I had like body image issues that I don't really understand now when I look back, like whatever. It's like, and, uh, and so I put myself out there in a way I never wanted to in high school. And like, yeah, this beautiful thing happened. I'm like, okay, cool. I can sign out now and feel like I did the thing. That feels very reminiscent to, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of still, I'm, I'm removed enough from high school that it was like, I don't ever want to see anyone from high school ever again, except for a few people. And it's, it's not, it's more of just like, I don't want to go back to 
where I was mm-hmm. when I was that age. Mm-hmm. And so like you saying, you know, going there and bringing who you are now, not necessarily who you, not trying to think about who you were back then was kind of interesting. And it makes, it makes me more think about the, the military side. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a Marine Corps vet. It's, it'll be 10 years this year or this coming month that I got out. Mm. And there's a part of me that's like, wow, like I was brainwashed, you know, 15 Mm. years ago, very different person, very different mindset. And I wonder how many of those people now are, you know, how have they grown? But then also like, I know, I know of at least three people who aren't there anymore or Mm. who, you know, just due to mental health issues that didn't get looked at and didn't, you know, they didn't talk to somebody. Um, and that's something that I, you know, I take personally now when I talk to people who are veterans, I ask them, you know, straight up, just how's your mental health going? Yeah. Um, because I don't want to lose any more people like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think about high school and the military, both so much emotional, like trauma can happen in those settings that, I do think it's hard to want to go back and, you know, do anything that reminds you of those times. But I do think that there might be some value, kind of like you're saying, of like not looking at it as this is how I was back then, but more of like this is who I am now. Which, I mean, of course, someone's going to hear me say something that I said when I was stupid and like, oh, now cancel Jay. And like, you know, <laughs> culture culture nowadays, some people should be canceled for the things that they did when they were <laughs> in high school and in the military. Uh, some people were just stupid. We're just stupid uh, adolescents without fully developed brains. <laughs> so it's it's definitely hard to, you know, I, I can't, there are definitely things that I did that I regret now that I think back to now, like, oh, wow, like. I, I do hope no one ever, this isn't an invitation to start going and digging through those crates. Like, please yep. don't. Um, but also like, I think there might be some health in there too. Like some, some healthy um, benefits to it. Here's, yeah, here, yeah, yeah. Here's what's happened to me. Um, I went to my 20th high school reunion um, mostly because I could show up in an Audi TT convertible and make everyone feel bad. Alligator boots. It didn't. It didn't matter. No one saw my car. Um, no one asked me like what I was doing. But the weird thing was, when I showed up, the girl who was handing out the name tags knew immediately who I was, and I don't remember many people from high school. And the whole night, like girls were asking me to dance. <laughs> Guys were talking to me at the urinal, like jocks that I barely remembered were like, hey, Brett, what you been up to? <laughs> and and it was like I realized that I was not the outcast I portrayed myself as. Uh, like I always felt completely alienated. And then I had a dinner more recently with my quote unquote best friends from high school. And immediately fell back into old patterns and immediately realized I didn't matter to them. Like, mm. these were the people that I associated with. These were the people that were my crew. And they didn't care how my life was going. They didn't care. I, I barely got a word in edgewise. They all had a life together without me. And it felt exactly the way I felt all through high school. Mm. And it made me realize, holy shit, I was... 
friends with the wrong people the whole time. And the people that I thought hated me actually thought I was great. <laughs> and the people that I thought were great actually hated me. Shit, did I hate myself? Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I um, see. I'm the one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I see. I'm the problem. It's me. Oh, you did it. Nice job. <laughs> there, there's, this, there's this weird thing that happens where like, Maybe it's just a podcaster problem, I guess, but like my parasocial relationships that have kind of bloomed into actual relate like friendships are way healthier than the like people that I grew up with, like those friendships. Like I'm I'm gonna give him his flowers since since he's on the pod with us, but like chatting with Brett for the first time when I was like this stupid kid that was super into productivity and stuff, but then also wanted to learn how to program. And Brett was doing some really cool shit. And I was like, I want to be like that when I grow up. And then, <laughs> and then like actually like meeting Brett a few, like, was it, was it last year or was it the year before last at Max Talk? Max Talk last year. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like this moment where like we had talked and like, we had had conversations before, but it felt like it was like, it's a like 99% parasocial relationship. And then just meeting and being like, wow, he really is as cool as he was like on the 10. Like, it, <laughs> like it was, it was his, the, the actual in pre, like the in presence was exactly what I hoped for, where that had not been the case for so many people in the yeah. past. Yeah. Like, and and I understand that kind of like you were saying, it, it was when I first learned of Brett, I was su I was super like inbox zero productivity. Like I want to meet all these people. And I met so many of them and I was like, they're all kind of douchebags. Mm. Like, and I, and I mean, granted, some of them are really cool, but there are a lot of them that I was just like, you were nowhere near as cool as I thought you were. Mm. And then like I met Brett and Brett was just like, what's up? Nice to meet you. <laughs> like, like, unpack, like, unpack nowhere near as cool. Say more about cool. Like, I mean, break that word down. You, you, okay. So kind. <laughs> th this is, this is where I, uh, I self promote. Um, I do a show called conduit. It's, mm -hmm. it's for, it's a productivity show for people who hate productivity shows. <laughs> um, brilliant. It, it is the idea that we all suck at this. We all understand that we suck at this and we're just trying to see if we can make it like two weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's more about accountability. Like, Hey, did you, you survived the last two weeks? Good job. Yeah. Let's, let's keep it moving. And I think the more, the deeper and deeper I tried to dive into like, let's actually be productive. Like let's have productive lifestyles. I understood how like physically unhealthy that was, how mentally unhealthy that was at times. And then also the people trying to teach you how to do this, that's their job. That's not like, that's not like they don't understand. I, I worked at a help desk and people were like, yeah, you should only check your email like once a day. And I'm like, if I do that, I get fired. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. so being able to like, have again someone like Brett who is like me building these things is often due to me disregarding some responsibilities but also this is where I met at the moment and this stuff is really cool and I just want to keep building it like I related to that 
but then also I was like, okay, where's, where's the, butt? where's the, like, as he says, as he hops into like a Bentley and then drives off, you know, into the distance, smoking a cigar or something. And it was like, that part never came. It was still the like punk rocker, like let's, let's just talk, let's like nerd out and talk about building stuff, which I mean, that's, that's what made Bunch so cool for me. It was like, oh my this was, this was a thing that like, Hey, I know the person that built this. And then it was like, Hey, what if, what if you did this? And then like three days later, it was like, thanks. You, you threw me into another rabbit hole, but now the speaker exists. You're <laughs> yes, welcome. Yes. 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 <laughs> you, you have, you have both had that experience. Yeah, yes. We have. <laughs> It's, it's cool seeing features that I'm like, I think I asked for that. <laughs> right, right. Totally. I My thing, Brett and I have talked about this, maybe even on the podcast with, I went through a similar thing with the productivity people. I didn't meet a lot of them, but I realized at some point, like, I think you must be dishonest because I've never met anybody who is committed or loves or gets fired up by various productivity tools who then doesn't fall apart. Um, inside of them, uh, every how many so developer often. advocates do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, like because to me the experience of um, returning or like building systems, which mine always fall apart, is like the important thing for me. And this is true with my mental health as well. Is like that I call myself back, and and in the case of like productivity tools, that's me calling myself back to those systems. And for me, it's an indicator of how like healthy I am at that moment. So things really fall apart. But as long as I'm always calling myself back to these tools that I've built or some new tool, even if I get lost in it at that time, it's actually like a really good, really good sign. Although I also have to know when to quit. (laughs) (laughs) We have this goofy thing where like every once every quarter we do a systems check because people see product productivity on the 10 and they're always like, what apps are you using? We're like, we don't really want to talk about that stuff, but we, we appease people once every three months. And uh, one of the things that we've done is we always give what we're doing a name and it's always just something that we make up. And I always use artists that I'm listening to at the moment. Like the first one was like the Silk Sonic method because Silk Sonic had just come out. <laughs> then it was like the the JD, the JD Beck and Domi paradox or something like that. And then like the Thundercat system, like all this, all this fun stuff. And like, there was something about it because you knew that it was going to change. You knew that you were giving it permission to adapt and you were stating that by just renaming the thing every time you're like, yeah, it's kind of similar to this thing, but like, it's different because I'm doing this and this and this instead of this. So it's kind of like this weird jazz break. So that's why it's like Thundercat, you yeah. know, cause Thundercat does these cool breaks and then I do these cool breaks and yeah. like, cool. Like, and, and in the end it, it's supposed to be silly. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. 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 And I think that's what, that's what makes it, like that was the thing that I missed talking to, you know, the the business coat types that were just like, it's always about ROI. It's all about lifestyle brand. It's all about, it's like all these things. I'm like, I kind of just want to sit down with my espresso machine and like have fun and then look at my notebook and be like, do I have stuff to do today? Yeah. Okay. I guess I better do that then. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I feel like someone needs to ask you what kind of espresso machine you got. Uh, a Gadja Classic Pro X, which is, uh, I, I mean, it's going to be an X. There's always an X. It's, yeah. It's not the, I mean, it's, it's a 
$500 machine, uh, which in the world of espresso people, yeah. are like, oh, so you went to Walmart and bought something. Reasonable. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, the thing I liked about it actually was that it's, for espresso machines, it's considered like the hacker's espresso machine. Like you have people who have like raspberry pies and Arduinos attached to it <laughs> for like temperature control. Yes. Like I had to replace <laughs> springs to change my pressure output. And I was like, yeah, this is, yes. this is, this is the right decision Mods. for me. <laughs> Brett, what's your, what's your mental health corner check-in? So speaking of um, productivity <laughs> people turning out to be as cool as they are in real life, um, I've met Berlin Man a couple of times, and every time I've been blown away by how personable he is. And when I, I recently posted about kind of the CPTSD stuff I was going through, and he reached out and called me on the mm -hmm. phone and and it was it was a great conversation and i fucking love merlin he's a, great he's a really good guy um I so feel like i scared merlin <laughs> oh yeah yeah we did a i was in this podcast mentorship thing and they were like do an episode on someone that you look up to and i did one about merlin and like i messaged him in like relay fm slack and was like hey i don't want to be weird but like <laughs> i did this thing like you don't have to listen to it. It's cool. But I've listened to a lot of your shows in the past, big inspiration, yada, 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 like cool. And then I, there was like this moment in like another episode where uh, he and Alex were talking about something and he was like, should I listen to the thing? And I, and I just, no, <laughs> I, was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I've, I've, I've ruined any, no, uh, that first no, impression was terrible. No I, he's, Merlin, he's, if you hear this, I hope that we can, uh, one day be cool. <laughs> he's a really good guy. I'm sure he would love you. Um, I have gotten into internal family systems. Have you guys oh, heard of yeah, this? I'm in it now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the like, root of my therapy. When I started with my new therapist and I told her about my religious trauma syndrome and, and my complex PTSD, she was like, we're going to solve this with CBT, like mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral awesome, therapy. And, and I was like, okay. But I had read that CBT was the wrong response to religious trauma syndrome. Mm. Uh, but I didn't have a better answer for her. And then a couple of people mentioned IFS, uh, Victor, at, friend of the show, Victor Agrida, and... Um, and my girlfriend had both uh, pointed me towards IFS. So I bought the book, um, No Bad Parts. Yeah, No Bad Parts. Uh, by the guy who invented, uh, created IFS. And I started reading it and immediately I was like, oh my God, like this, this feels real. And it's weird because it's a little bit, the idea is that you have um, a multitude of parts within you some of which got frozen in time and are burdened with the idea of protecting you from whatever at the point they were frozen whatever they were protecting you from and it became immediately obvious that there is a little kid in a three-piece suit ready for easter sunday church who has a checklist of all the things that are going to send me to hell yeah. and he has been doing his best to stop me from doing things that I grew up believing would send me to hell, but my adult self no longer believes that. My adult self no longer believes it, but every time they come up, this kid tries to take like foreground and 
and tell me you can't do this. You'll burn in hell. Um, so he's protecting me from death and hell. And like, he was the first part that I discovered. And, and like the idea behind IFS is you, you talk to these parts and you thank them for their service and you express gratitude and love and compassion and you get them to let down their guard. And it seems like, it feels to me like very woo, um, like the idea of talking to myself feels ridiculous, um, but I'm willing to try anything at this point. And um, I, I honestly believe that IFS taps into like a very like like shadows on the wall understanding, a very plat. What what do you call something that's Plato-esque? Platonic, um, like call it Plato-esque. Plato no one's gonna no one's gonna beat you up for that here. This idea that we have found a way to interact with a neuroscience that we don't fully understand yet. Um, much like a lot of Freud's, some of Freud's like theories were proven to be neuroscience. Oh, some of them were proven to be horribly some wrong. Some were proven to be cocaine. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> And like, but like this idea that maybe this IFS thing taps into something that we don't understand from a neuroscience standpoint yet. Um, and maybe, maybe it's a rudimentary way of accessing something a little bit more scientific. But for right now, it feels very real to me. And I'm actually making a lot of progress. So I talked to my therapist about it and she's like, yeah, I've done IFS. I, I, I think you might be on the right path. So instead of CBT, we're going to approach my my trauma with IFS. And and that feels more productive to me. And I'm actually pretty excited about it. Yeah. And the part of IFS that helped me, which is actually exactly what helped me go to my reunion present, is this idea, same thing about a part, like there's a kid back there who was trying to protect himself from these people yeah. um, because I wanted so bad just to escape so I could start my life. And there's all kinds of other reasons I was protecting myself, but my therapist said something is like become like paradigmatic for me. Like I, I'm always thinking about this, which is like, okay, so can you picture that kid right now? Right? Like, yeah, I can picture. Is there a way that you can bring him forward into the future yeah. so that he can know like yeah. you're safe from that now and whatever. Yeah. And that idea of taking the parts and identifying them and then just being like, can you bring that one forward is like that just it, it hit me on such a deep level. One of the things when you're talking to your parts, one of the things you're supposed to do is ask them how old they are mm -hmm. and then tell them how old you are. And the oh, parts, that's a nice way to do that. And the parts often act with surprise, like, holy shit, you made it to the age of 45 even though I'm stuck here at like six years old. Just so you know, six-year-old, I'm old as dirt now. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's been interesting. Speaking of high school, though, I um, I posted, I use my Facebook. If I'm going to post random song lyrics, it's to Facebook where I, I, <laughs> I, it, I don't know. I have a weird, a weird collection of friends, but I have always friended anyone from my high school who asks to be friends. I have always just accepted it um, because I've realized that while I thought I might hate this person or I thought this person hated me, uh, the relationship might have been very different than I consciously 
yeah. believe it to have been. Uh, so I posted just the line, not about to see your light. And the kid, my first day when I moved to Winona, Minnesota at the age of 12, um, I got pushed to my knees in the gravel by this kid um, at the Winona Middle School. Uh, between the middle school and the library, he like shoved me down and I felt very scared. And I developed a real hatred for this kid um, who apparently doesn't remember this incident at all. Um, but when I, when I wrote the line, not about to see your light, he responded with, um, if you want to find hell with me. And I was like, you are the <laughs> last person that I expected to bond with over Danzig lyrics. Uh, like I did yes. not expect that. And, and like in his mind, I think we were always cool. Uh, but in my mind, he was a horrible person who hated me and wanted to hurt me. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just this weird, it's weird being, being old enough to like, look back on that stuff and maybe take it with a grain of salt and yeah. not feel as traumatized by it. Anyway. Is that that, uh, Casablanca quote of like, you know, but I think about you every day and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't think of you at all. Yeah. <laughs> I love the in uh Leonard Cohen's um Chelsea Hotel number two where he's like that's all I don't think of you that often. <laughs> yeah. Um anyway, we we this has been another mental health episode. We just filled up a full hour dental mental health. Dental mental health. Dental mental health. Um, do you guys want to do uh gratitude before we yeah. wrap up? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Um, I'll, I'll kick it off. Is that cool? Mm -hmm. I, I believe I picked this before, but it has been a forefront for me in the last couple weeks. Uh, Curio by Zen Gobi. Um, I don't use it daily in my life, but when I have a project, I want to brainstorm and I want like all the tools necessary for brainstorming an idea and in this case, uh, it does a really good job. If you save your Curio document to iCloud, you can share it with somebody. And it does a really good job of handling syncing. So two people can share a document. Most recently, Elle and I started, getting, started talking about getting uh, partner tattoos, like couples tattoos. And... And we started brainstorming, like, what would this be? What would be meaningful? What would represent our partnership? What would what would we not regret, you know, five years down the line? And we started brainstorming. And in case you're curious, what we ultimately decided, and we're going to wait until some current uh, upheaval is settled, but I have this brand that I did on my... I can't see it. It looks like the Debian logo. That's okay. Logo. Nobody can see it. Oh, yeah. There we go. It looks like what? It looks like the Debian logo. It does. It's a Debian um, brand. It's a spiral. I, I like, I was in the midst of what was undiagnosed manic depression and, um, or I mean, bipolar depression. And, and I didn't have any way out of it other than pain because I had just gotten out of rehab for the third time. I was clean and I didn't have the drugs that had always, medicated me oh my god this turned back into mental health corner but but i took skin a skin health corner i oh, took oh. 
I took a coat hanger and twisted it into a spiral, heated it up with a blowtorch and just jammed it into my arm. And, and it worked. Like it got me out of my head for a little while. And, and that took a while, but it healed. And to me, this brand on my arm represents not only like the depth of despair, but also the healing and the transition out of it. And we talked about all kinds of different tattoos. I had elaborate designs where a butterfly combined like an E and a B and, and like none of it really struck home until L said, what if I got a white ink tattoo that matched your brand? Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy shit, that would be, that's like the most meaningful connection. So I could look at this brand and know that I wasn't alone in it. Right. And so we're going to wait on it a bit. We're going to get to a solid place before we really make a decision on it. But like, that was the end result. And all thanks to Curio, my pick of the week. That's dope. <laughs> Curio, use that as an ad. Yeah, <laughs> sponsor, say, hell of a sponsor read. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jay, what do you got? Oh, sorry, Brett. I no, I was just going to say, for anyone who doesn't know, Curio is like uh, an app where you, you have all these spaces that are like whiteboards and you can drag images and emails and add text and outlines. And it has mind mapping built in. And you can connect all of these things together. You can link between spaces and it has like a complete set of project management tools. So you can add due dates to things and across multiple spaces and then get a list of like all of your to do items uh, between these spaces. It's intensely it's extremely uh, functional, like capable without feeling overwhelming like you can just start using it so that's my that's my pitch for curio and it is not the news app on setup with the no setup. no some they stole that i knew i knew i had seen i was like yeah. wait is this yeah. the thing on setup and i was like oh wait no it's different yeah <laughs> okay jay what you got so has anyone promoted the arc browser i i don't yeah christina I'm, raised it christina okay. raised it and we had some guests on at some point that was like a hundred percent into it. Like okay. they had, I think it was Brian. Yeah. I think it was okay. Brian had like, had like ditched all of their browsers for it, but tell us what you love. And then I'll tell you what I think. It It, it is my primary browser. I, I can't say that I've ditched all other browsers. Like I work for a company that makes a browser. I kind of have to use that one from time to time. Um, the thing about Arc Browser that I like is I've never been the type, like I have a pinboard account, stuff gets stored there. I'd never go back to it. Um, that's just not where things go if I want to retrieve them in the future. That's just where things go because I decided that they should go in there. It's like a hall of fame for... It's a it's a way to get them off your mind exactly. and, feel, and feel like they're secure so you can have the whole mind wipe mind like water, get things yeah. done kind of mentality. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Arc browser is now the place where like, oh, I'm going to need this again. Like, and that that's what made it relevant for me because when I do things like podcast, I know that there are like three or four things that I open and I, I open them with bunch, but I'm also going back and forth between them as I'm using them. And the thing that, that made arc browser kind of stand out was like, 
for instance, we're recording this right now in the browser. I have that browser window open. I have the notes side by side, like inside of a single window, which is absolutely like phenomenal. So I can do the same thing with like Discord where I have, you know, the Discord for our, for Conduit plus our notes. Um, unfortunately, I don't do Zoom through the, well, probably fortunately, I don't do Zoom through the browser. So like that's not in there too, but it could be. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I do that with with a lot of things now. Google Meeting meets like you know when people want to do stuff like that. I can I can be working on a thing and have all of these things spun up. Um, I did have a second one if if Arc Browser like Arc Browser is cool and I wanted to shout wait, it out only wait. because it's publicly available now. Yeah, I was gonna say like it just became like widely publicly available. Give people some description of why they would want to use Arc. Um, Arc, uh, I. Don't think it is it Mac only or is I it? I don't know. Yeah, it is. I, yeah, I use it for, on Mac. So Mac OS 12 and later. Okay, so yeah, it's a Mac only system. It is a browser that feels like a native experience. It has these really cool ideas of spaces where you can have a space dedicated to different things. Um, I will say, if you have ADHD, that's not going to last. You're just going to throw stuff, and when the one space gets too full, you just open up a new one and just keep going. Yeah. But um, but at the end of like by default, every 12 hours, um, all these open tabs you have get yeah. archived. They get archived. And, and so when you open it up in the morning, you you're left with your pin tabs, ones that you have consciously said, I'm going to need this again. Yep. And everything else just gets shuffled off out of your and, way. And because it has a little command bar, you can actually go back to archived tabs. Mm-hmm. So if you just start typing, it's going to be like, yo, you archived this. Like, yeah. And so command T, instead of command T uh, just opening a new tab, command T actually brings up a palette where you can easily navigate through all of the options, all of the commands, and all of your open tabs. Exactly. Wow. So yeah, that was, I mean... I just like when I started using it, it was kind of like this, like, okay, that's not going to be supported. It's still in beta. I'm sure there's going to be bugs. And like, for some reason, like I just never stopped using it, which to me is like a, I mean, like that was like me and DuckDuckGo, like, oh, I'm going to try this thing. And then I just never stopped trying it. And to me, that's like the indicator of an app that, that has kind of made its way into my system. Totally. That's awesome. You, just, you had a, uh, just downloaded and signed up. <laughs> you have a second one. You want to throw in a second one? The other one only because it's so weird. Um, the Synology DS app, which <laughs> like I just bought Synology routers and. Oh, the, you got the routers. Yes. The uh, routers are so good, uh, but like the web interface for you know, all the routing stuff very feels very much like its own little ecosystem based on the Synology operating system, which is cool. But then like to be able to look at all this stuff on my two routers that I have, I have the 66,000 AX and then the 5,600 AX thing. Um, and I have them in mesh mode. So, uh, when we moved, I was, I moved into an area that has fiber and like, that was just exciting. Yeah. So exciting. But like, <laughs> The thing that really got me was that you can actually set up a VPN on the router itself, which is great if you want to spoof like your location. 
mm-hmm. and have it spoof across all of the devices in the house so that, yeah. you know, all of a sudden you're in Canada and you're watching Canadian Netflix or whatever. Um, but all of your TVs are doing that, not just your, your laptop, which is super cool. And the fact that it, the app is just so easy to use. Mm. It's so easy to like, if it's, it's logical, which I don't know how many like web interfaces people have gone to for routers. Like <laughs> that's never the case. It's like, I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly how to get there. Yeah. I create these profiles. I have an IOT network that was super easy to set up. So all of my like home devices are on their own network. That's, you know, walled off from my computers and like awesome. I can do all of these things and not feel like, like I'm hacking into the matrix sure. every time I'm trying to do it. It's sure. like, Oh no, this is simple. Add a new network, you know, go share this profile to a thing and you're done. Yeah. yeah. No, I love awesome. that. I love awesome. that. Um, I use Archer uh, routers right now and their web interface is, I would call it passable at best. Um, no, that makes me really curious about switching to Synology routers. And the routers themselves are solid. I nice. mean, they're expensive. But they're solid. Yeah, they are expensive, aren't they? I'd like to try them. Hmm. Um, so I, <laughs> I am, I, I want to talk about a, a text editor that I've talked about before, which is Sublime Text, um, because I've been using it forever and ever and ever. But I actually just, I think that I, I don't think there are, that many people out there who aren't coders who use text editors primarily for writing and just straight text and manipulating text and whatever else it is. And I do a lot of work. I do a lot of like qualitative work where I'm working with like interview transcripts or documents that have been provided to me that I'm supposed to analyze or whatever else. I also obviously take a lot of notes and all that stuff. And I, I was just kind of, so I just went through a period of like incredible productivity just in the sense that like things that have been blocked that I hadn't been able to work on or finish for a couple of years have just like flowed. And what has facilitated that flow in large part is sublime text and just the text editor in general. Um, because for all the obvious reasons that you both know, but like, it's also just like a lot of markdown, right? It's like the amount of time I don't spend fucking around with totally um, inexplicable formatting issues or things kind of disappearing in weird ways or whatever it is. I know this is all fundamental text editor markdown stuff, but like, and I've been doing this for years and years, but I've never been working with so much text at once. And I'm realizing just how freeing it is and how rare it is. No one on my team who works with the same kind of qualitative data, whatever, has ever even opened a text editor. Um, and you want so badly to show them, but they just, I'm, I'm the person that has so many little hacks that everyone's like, oh God, it's another fucking Gunsel thing. They just like shut off. And and I just want to be like, no, you don't understand. It's our work. It makes our work so much easier. Um, so anyway, Sublime Text. And, I, and the, the thing is, and Brett and I have talked about this so much, it's like, I love VS Code. And it is too much of a playground for me. Um, and between and Sublime and its package manager um, is just is it's the perfect thing of like giving me tools and giving me just enough playground. Like it doesn't let me into the part where you can like climb up that weird thing and then bounce off the thing and then whatever. Like it just keeps me with the swings. <laughs> and and I'm so grateful for that. Um, so anyway, I'm I'm talking about text editors more than anything as gratitude because I still go into VS Code for things I- that. I really want to know how you tie this back to Fugazi, though. 
Oh, I, in the show notes, I was like, that was such, it sounded so obnoxious. I decided not to go there, but I was like, sublime text is the Fugazi of text editors. And all I meant by that is um, it's a thing that has, has remained exactly as simple as it started. Right. And, and there's like downsides to that with Fugazi and Ian Mackay, like that shit got kind of frozen and annoying. But, um, but the idea is like, like I was thinking about how Fugazi like always toured with like the most simple stage ever. Like there were like some white yeah. lights on the side that were theirs that that went down on them so that you were never um, at the mercy of the lighting person and all of their tricks, right? Like that's the first thing I thought about with VS Code and Sublime. And again, I love VS Code actually. Um, and then also just like the Fugazi thing of like the shows are always going to be $5. Yep. Like sometimes it feels <laughs> like you're getting $5 worth with some of the packages in Sublime Text or whatever, or like, you know, but like it also just feels like super reliable and simple. Um, yeah, it's like it's unchanging, which is not something I value overall in tech or bands. But uh, because Fugazi was as much like a business model as it was a band, sure. um, and because they stayed just so kind of like reliable right. and consistent. But, but, <laughs> but I would say like Fugazi, every album, if you were a hardcore oh, Every fan, album was better and more interesting and more layered than the last. Yeah, everyone was different. Everyone every every time they released an album, it it, it illustrated growth. Yeah. Like they weren't just putting out the same album over and over again. And but the every closest time- they got to VS Code was when they added a second drummer on the left. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, when you started bringing in bands, when you mentioned VS Code, I immediately thought this is like Toe. People who are not into math rock are just like, what is going on? But once it clicks, you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this. I was, yeah, I was going to yeah. ask you, have you ever, have you ever joined a, a side on the Vim Emacs? Like I'm doing, I'm doing things with texts that yes. your, your puny brain can't comprehend, like yep. comprehend, like to me, that's where text editor love begins is yeah. when when you choose a side light side dark side i'm not going to tell you which one it is but like when you're like i just pushed five buttons and i changed this entire text file to to do exactly what i want to do and i'm going to press the period and like it's going to do it again yeah like there's yeah. a moment there where you're like i can i could launch i could launch things like i could i could you're do clearly stuff. you're clearly a vim guy <laughs> Yeah. That, yeah, 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 yeah. Immediate. That is immediately apparent. You can't hide that you're a VIP guy. A couple of years ago, I I went down the Emacs rabbit hole, specifically Doom Emacs, um, because why not add the Doom uh, like name and theme to I've Emacs? I've been told of Doom Emacs, yeah. and and it was like, and I was like, I was like, oh no, this is incredible, but also it like it it pulled me in so hard. And I realized I was spending so much time time trying to learn some really fundamental things that like I already knew how to do elsewhere that I was like, okay, you got to stop console. But I loved it. It appealed to a part of my brain so hard. I I knew that I was married to Vim when I opened up VS code and immediately put it into Vim mode. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you guys, do do either of you use Xcode? No, Uh, no, I tried Xcode in the last year, I think um, added Vim mode to Whoa. Xcode oh, editing. Wow. Does and it support it ke- your local VimRC? No. Oh. <laughs> no. And, and Why? There's, there's no collin <laughs> command line, but your basic navigation and oh, the insert and substitute line. and change commands all work. And you can't use colon. How do you how do you save how and you- quit? <laughs> <laughs> so I do I have to say if I'm taking sides, I do take the Vim side. Yeah. But um yeah. yeah. I think we can all agree. 
Mm-hmm. Vim. Mm-hmm. It's Vim. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Jay, do you have another 10 minutes? I've always got time. Because I am very curious to hear about Living Color from Jeff. Absolutely. <laughs> Me too, actually. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, 1987, on the edge of 1988, this band, Living Color, all black rock band, releases an album called Vivid. Uh, with their single called Cult of Personality. Um, I am in seventh, eighth grade. Uh, I am just starting. I've just moved into a new school district that is pretty much all white. I had I had grown up in a much more sort of mixed environment. Um, and I was really alienated. I also liked some bad music because I was in seventh grade. Um, and Cult of Personality comes on. This, this, this song and video... Uh, captured me and captured a lot of America, although I don't understand exactly why, because it was this, they actually radicalized me with this one song and video and then oh. continued to throughout I mean, the songs was, and the albums. It was so a really catchy tune. That even it was a catchy as hell tune. It was on, it was yeah. on like Guitar Hero 3, right? Like, yeah. but the, the really incredible thing was that here was a band being, this video was being played on MTV like every 30 minutes. It starts with the words and voice of Malcolm X it cuts to a black girl watching television and then into the song where they are examining the idea of the cult of personality. And they're actually, there's lines like, like Mussolini and Kennedy, I'm the cult of personality, like Joseph Stalin and Gandhi. I'm the cult of personality, right? Like that's some complex shit, right? They're not saying the two are equal, but they're raising this idea of like, leaders and what does it mean and and then there are these there's this whole line and there's this line that says when a leader speaks a leader dies and in the video when they say a leader speaks they show mlk's face when they say a leader dies they show a row of white cops holding batons right like again 1988 right this is not radical for black america but for white america extremely radical right and on top of it they are these incredible musicians. Like they come from avant, like jazz and like noise rock backgrounds. Um, and so there are, there's a guitar solo in that thing that like, I still, it still feels so ahead of its time that I can't believe people weren't just like, this is a great song with that fucking guitar solo. Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> um, and so I loved that band. I saw them open for the Rolling Stones in 1988, and I really went for them. Um, I saw them play with Bad Brains at First Avenue in 1993. Um, by then, they had re- released like three albums of songs that like I was radicalized by the second and third album. But the first album, the way that they talked about um, white America versus black America very explicitly, the way they talked about experiencing racism and like a day to day, there was a song funny vibe and the lyrics were literally, no, I'm not going to rob you. No, I'm not going to beat you. No, I'm not going to rape you. Like this was the, these were the lyrics of the song and the video was on MTV. And, and like, um, that was like so huge. I wrote them a letter in eighth grade uh, because I was like, so, alive with what they were (laughs) doing. So anyway, um, I kind of can't believe looking back that that band um, 
got away with being as, as radical as they were. I also am just maddened by the fact that most people I talk to remember them because Corey Glover, the singer wore like a body glove wetsuit, like day glow body glove wetsuit, like a shorts version and like the, you know, sleeveless version um, when he performed. And, and like, that's notable. I mean, that's a weird move and, and probably super sweaty, but it, the fact that that's what's remembered is, is really like, tragic to me. So anyway, I went to see them last night. And wow. okay, and they were they were opening for the band Extreme, uh, <laughs> which the, the connection is there's two total guitar heroes there, right? This guy Nuno Betancourt is like this insane guitarist, but Vernon Reed is like a, a like a trailblazing uh, guitarist, right? Um, and I was like so bummed because my tickets said Extreme. They were the ones that said like more than words, and also the song "Get the Funk Out," as in if you don't <laughs> like what you see here, get the funk out. They were just such a stupid band. Gary Sharon, the singer, became like a forgotten singer of Van Halen uh, between like Sammy Hagar and when David Lee Roth joined the band again. It's just like it's a yucky history. Um, and and I and so I get there. I'm already pissed off that I've got to like own an Extreme ticket. I go there and on the marquee which is a big marquee. It says only extreme. Like it doesn't say living color. There's plenty of room for living color. Right. And I'm not, you know, like forget, I mean, there are all these ways in which they were historic. Their fucking bass player played on the message by, by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Like this band is fucking history, right? Like Vernon Reed, like changed guitar, like, there's no Rage Against the Machine and Tom Morello without Vernon Reed. And Tom Morello would say that, right? Like they're just like so important and they're not on the fucking marquee. Um, the first time I'd ever heard of Vernon Reed wasn't from Living Color because Cult of Personality came out before I was born. Um, <laughs> but it was on BT Jazz. Wow. <laughs> which was like, wow. and I think he was doing like a cover of like Green Sleeves. Wow. So it's just like, it's these these weird moments of just like, oh, hey, who's this? Oh, wow. What other stuff have they done? Whoa. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. And they they were so versatile. Like last night, they, they did a cover of Nothing Compares to You. And it was as much of a Prince tribute as anything. Um, and uh, fuck, man. And so the craziest thing, though, and then I'll wrap here, is... The cult of personality has this moment where he's sort of like suddenly breaks like a more flowing like vocal style and they're just shouting, I'm the cult of personality, right? And he didn't sing it, but the entire crowd, which is almost all white, um, was literally throwing their hands and singing each one without the band singing, I am the cult. And it was like the creepiest fucking thing I've ever seen. And the last thing I'll say about the weirdness of going to an extreme show where Living Color opens is I was in the merch line. First, this like white or this like white dude passes me with a jackal shirt, which was like a hair metal <laughs> band that the dude had like a chainsaw. I and then a black jackal. dude passes me with an Elvin Jones shirt. And I was like, this is a fucking weird night. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but just like so many shout outs to Living Color for educating me and and giving me like a place for what I like helping to affirm all the shit that I felt like was wrong where I was. Um, and also just forcing me to think in like very complex dualistic ways as a young kid, a young white kid. You brought up that Prince cover. Um, also, you know, Sinead, um, yeah. but like that reminded me of the, uh, there was a Prince discog dive that just went through where it's like, this is a YouTuber who like goes through the entire discography of an artist. And I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, 
not everything they say is going to be great and but it it was pretty solid and they just re- it just reminded me you were talking about this this weird mindset of like people not realizing what's going on in front of them and he brings up this moment where prince opened for um the rolling stones mm-hmm. and in la at the la Whoa. coliseum Whoa. and got booed for 3 days straight and to the point where literally people were like they were mailing in and sending in like letters with just racist and like homophobic slurs about why the greatest rock band in history would allow like such derogatory filth to open for them. And in my mind, I'm just like, that was Prince. (laughs) I know that's crazy. Like that whole mind and kind of like you're saying with like living color and extreme of just like, you don't you don't even realize what you have in front of you like yeah. you don't realize the amazing like just the amazing history and legacy and at the time it was the very much present yeah. but like i would i i've i've wondered like have i ever gone to a show where it's like all of a sudden i'm going to regret that i was like oh yeah that first band sucked who was that oh i don't know <laughs> yeah 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 right 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 well, you know the when when they opened for the Rolling Stones, there were nights where the where white men in the front crowd would just hold up their finger, middle fingers for the entire set, Ugh. and that's despite the fact the reason they so Mick Jagger saw them at CBGBs and was like, "I love you. I have studio time not far from here. I would like to record a demo for you for free," and like that's actually how they got like towards a record oh, label. Wow. So there's like this real relationship between the Rolling Stones and this band. And it's the same thing. People are like, what the fuck are you bringing these guys here? Did you know when you bought extreme tickets that Living Color was playing? Was that why you bought the tickets? I, what kind of asshole question is that? I, I got to know. I just need this out on the table. Yeah, no, I had said about three years ago, I'm like, the next time that band comes to town, okay. they would reunite. I'm going to the show. And then I see extreme Living Color. And I'm like, fuck. I, I meant no offense. I just it feel, made me I wish felt you like could, that needed to be said out loud. It, it made me wish you could like, I don't know if this quite like ranked choice voting but like you could divert you could say i want i want 95 percent of my ticket to go to living color and five percent to go to extreme because i did only album you know um but yeah no fuck that I, are you kidding me and i left man i walked i went and bought my shirt when they were done and i was out of there before that band took the stage fair enough so all right <laughs> sorry extreme fans well thanks for being here this week jay thank you jay we're going to have you back again on a week. Christina can make it. Absolutely. Yeah. It'd be great. Loved, All right. loved it. It's the dream come true for me. Um, I've been <laughs> on, I think I've completed uh, all of the podcasts that I've ever wanted to be on. So uh, <laughs> there you go. I've done it. All right. Awesome. You guys get some sleep. Get, get some, some sleep. Sleep. The system is going down low. Hey there, good people. Before you go, we have a bunch of new places where you can interact with us. Please check out our Instagram feed, our YouTube channel, Twitter, of course, and sign up for the Overtired newsletter, which will sort of pick up where the show leaves off with expanded show notes, uh, a little bit of what the three of us get up to between episodes. And let's face it, there'll be some musings. How can you resist musings? You'll find details for all the ways to interact with us in the show notes and at overtired.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening.